break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we're back with you here the 14th of June, 2021 on The Punch-Out. Very happy to be back with you. Plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about major lobbying going on against corporate taxes. We're going to be talking about the new Israeli government, which is really just the same old apartheid. But before we get to either of those two important stories, we're going to start with the G7 vaccine pledges over the weekend, falling well short of what's necessary. Too much fanfare. The G7 meeting in the United Kingdom over the weekend was headlined by pledges by the group of the wealthiest, most powerful nations to provide roughly 1 billion vaccine doses to the rest of the world, which, while making headlines, still leaves the world far below the 11 billion doses the WHO estimates will be needed to reach global herd immunity. The context of this vaccine discussion is important because while there are plenty of sunny days are here again sort of stories out there, It's important to realize COVID-19 is still here with us. In the United States, for instance, 101 people died from COVID-19 yesterday. Globally, 10,811 people died from COVID-19 yesterday. The death toll in the United States is over 600,000. Nearly 4 million are dead worldwide. And this is all in essentially about a year and a couple months. So things are still very deadly and under certain circumstances could potentially get worse. Thanks, however, are trending better, as you might expect, in areas where more people are vaccinated. For instance, as the Washington Post reports from their research into county-level data here in the United States, quote, counties with high vaccinations had low coronavirus rates that are going down. In counties where few people are vaccinated, not only are there higher case rates, but the number of cases there is growing, end quote. So it's easy to see that vaccines are still the best way to curb the virus and save lives. It also underlines that the major issue here is timing. The longer large groups of unvaccinated people remain, the more likely, more and more vaccine-resistant, and probably more serious versions of the disease can mutate and grow. Already, there is the so-called Delta variant, which is 40% more transmissible and results in more serious hospitalizations and renders the vaccines mildly less effective. In that context, it's clear that the G7 promises are well below the reality of what's necessary. There are a few elements to this, and one is the scale of the pledges themselves, and the other is the way in which they are pledged. As it concerns the scale, the reality is it's far too low. As President Biden himself noted at the summit, their timeline would have global vaccinations not complete until the end of 2023. So far, there has been a big issue in the gap between pledges and what has actually been shipped out. For instance, the COVAX mechanism, which is handling the distribution of drugs into the poorer nations especially, has about, before the G7 meeting, had about 150 million doses pledged, but it only shipped out 85 million. 
So while the G7 pledges on paper could help them catch up to the $1 billion they wanted to have by the end of this year, so far, what we've seen is that for a variety of reasons, including restrictions in countries like the United States, despite the global need, huge numbers of vaccines end up going unused. And that means that there's a further backlog in the global distribution, which means what's pledged isn't exactly what happened. And that's why the timeline potentially could be so, so long, perhaps the end of 2023. The way to understand it is this. The U.S. and the EU, although it's the EU is actually doing this less than the United States, but certainly the U.S., EU, and other G7 nations locked up 30% of all vaccines despite representing 13% of the world's population. This meant through a combination of laws and the pressure of these governments were making unofficially that they were and are the first in line to receive the doses that they have contracted out to get. So even if there are large numbers of vaccines that may be sitting in warehouses going unused, many of them still get shipped to honor the contract. And the results of that are seen in what was a mad scramble at the end of last week over the Johnson & Johnson vaccine as hundreds of thousands of doses were set to expire in states from Arkansas to Arizona to Ohio and more. And many state leaders were noting that even if they wanted to, there were not clear ways to shift their stockpile to somewhere else in time. So the hoarding of vaccines is clearly having a consequence in freeing up more supply. So again, that's why pledges can easily outship what is actually sent to COVAX and then what they're able to send out. And then, of course, what people are able to actually administer, which brings us to the second issue, that these are pledges, not a production plan. And they rest on a range of factors. And the G7 pledge was really, if you look at it, just adding up the pledges already made by most of the same countries and big pharmaceutical companies in the couple weeks leading up to the summit with a little extra thrown in on top. In other words, it was explicitly not premised on a major increase in global vaccine production and distribution. And that's obviously exactly what's needed in order to speed things up. This would require three main things. One would be the waiver of intellectual property rights, which the G7 is divided on, and it seems... Like it could really go either way in terms of whether that will happen at any point. Secondly, a big increase in production of the various supply chain parts to produce the vaccines. And that's a process that pharmaceutical companies globally have been pointing out has been a big challenge for them. And they point out that it's mainly because of restrictions in the U.S. on how those supplies can be exported as really the major culprit there. That's the major issue. The third required thing for ramped up production to make sense is improving the capacity of poorer nations to store and administer the shots themselves. Now, of course, none of these things were mentioned in the G7 pledge, which again speaks to the fact that the world's richest and most powerful nations are just scraping together what they can from their highly unequal vaccine production process and shipping it overseas to make it look like they're doing something, rather than commit to an all-out effort to increase production and distribution capacity around the world. It's certainly a statement to take away from the G7 summit, that the leaders of the richest, most powerful nations are willing to risk your life rather than take the necessary steps to curb COVID. Israel's new government has grabbed headlines around the world as a cross-party coalition took down Benjamin Netanyahu on Sunday after 12 years of him being the prime minister of the country, a time where his personal brand became almost synonymous with the international image of Israel. While the government has called itself a quote-unquote government of change, perhaps the most notable thing is the general policy continuities between the old and the new governments looked at objectively. Well, it's clearly just the same old apartheid. The government will be headed by Naftali Bennett, who by any measure is more pro-apartheid than Benjamin Netanyahu. 
Bennett supports formalizing the apartheid structure by annexing essentially all of the West Bank and giving zero rights to the Palestinians that live there, or at least the ones who continue to live there after they drive out as many as possible. And it certainly doesn't seem like he is softening his position there. In his maiden speech to the Knesset on Sunday, Bennett stated that the new government would, quote, strengthen settlements across the whole of the land of Israel, end quote. And about, quote unquote, Area C, it's a huge chunk of the West Bank, he said that the government would, quote, guarantee our national interest, augmenting positions and resources for this purpose after many years of neglect, end quote. Bennett also made sure to mention opposition to the Iran deal essential to the new government's identity and by using the phrase that he wanted to maintain Israel's quote-unquote freedom of action against Iran implied its shadow war against Iran will continue along with the possibility of more open attacks. Bennett is joined in government by just a rogues gallery of similar individuals. Ayelet Shaked, for instance, will be the interior minister. She once stated that the entire Palestinian people were the enemy, including quote, its elderly and its women, its cities and its villages, its property and its infrastructure, end quote. She's also a major advocate for ramping up deportations of Eritreans, something she is joined in by the new justice minister, Gideon Saar, who has said that ethnically cleansing Jerusalem is the, quote, most urgent and important national task, end quote. Many are remarking at how there are parties that at least claim to be more tolerant, like the Labor Party, which are part of this broader coalition. Well, the new president of the country, that's basically the head of the Knesset, doesn't have a ton of real power, but the new president is someone named Isaac Herzog, and he is, in fact, from the Labor Party. So to get a flavor for his positions, it might be worth knowing that he once, and by once I mean in 2015, ran for prime minister touting his experience in killing Palestinians. He also voted to expel Eritrean immigrants, calling them, quote, infiltrators from Africa. And to top it all off, in 2018, he said that Jews in the United States marrying or even dating non-Jews was, quote, an actual plague, end quote. If anything, then the new Israeli government is a confirmation that the vast majority of the political spectrum is pro-apartheid in Israel. At least 101 of the 120 seats in the Knesset are basically 100 percent openly for the most aggressive forms of apartheid. And essentially all but six are willing to totally acquiesce to apartheid leading the country. And that is a recognition by essentially all the parties except the radical left and Palestinian joint list are acknowledging only the apartheid right can govern the country. And in and of itself, that's a major admission about the politics of Israel, that it's really just an apartheid state through and through. As first quarter lobbying expenditures come out into the open here, we are getting a good peek at the efforts of big business to roll back or prevent changes that would help workers. New research from Open Secrets details how the 28 business associations who have come together to fight tax hikes that are designed as a part of the proposed American Jobs Plan and American Families Plan have, as a group, already spent $3 million in lobbying for various corporate priorities in quarter one. The Associated Builders and Contractors, which is one of those, spent $700,000 in lobbying in the first quarter of the year. They were the top of that list of the 28 different associations. The American Hotel and Lodging Association spent the second highest, totaling about 500 grand. The National Association of Wholesaler Distributors, who spearheaded the formation of this anti-corporate tax increase coalition, spent a smaller sum of $165,000 on lobbying in the first financial quarter of 2021. Although that's not really that small when you realize that's more money in just a few months 
than roughly five years of the salary for the person who's cleaning their offices. They aren't just lobbying around Biden's proposed tax increases either, but to really make sure their taxes stay lower either way. For instance, many of them are lobbying around a bill you've never heard of, I bet, called the Main Street Tax Certainty Act. Now, that act would make permanent a lower tax rate for certain wealthy people. It works like this. Certain corporations are known as pass-through businesses. That means they don't pay a corporate income tax, but the owners of a business report it on their personal income tax, where it's taxed at those personal income tax level rates. Now, Trump's tax law granted a big deduction to pass-through businesses, making the top rate effectively 29.6% where for someone taking the same income as a salary, they would be taxed at 37%. The government estimated $400 billion would be lost over 10 years due to this change because it encourages people to structure their businesses in such a way as to be able to take advantage. It's actually a very well-known tax dodge, an open secret, if you will. One other notable factor is that almost all the various associations who are opposed to raising taxes to fix bridges and provide people with childcare are also heavily invested in lobbying against workers' rights. The American Hotel and Lodging Association is the top lobbyist against the PRO Act, and that would provide more protections for union organizers. They're joined there, by the way, by the Associated Builders and Contractors, who are also the top lobbying force behind the National Right to Work Act, which, of course, would gut unionization in the country. The National Association of Wholesaler Distributors is fighting against the joint employer rule, which would mandate giant corporations like McDonald's are actually responsible for the wages of workers at their franchise locations. The Paycheck Fairness Act that would address the gender pay gap and to repeal the estate tax. The independent electrical contractors and the independent franchise association also pop up across a range of these issues, often overlapping with better known lobbying groups like the National Association of Manufacturers and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. All told, it gives you a fairly decent window into the real priorities of businesses in America. It isn't for the good of everyone. It's to make money. And the business associations for almost every industry are deeply invested in maximizing that profit, even if it's worse for the rest of us. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. <laughs> 